0: God is good, do you know that? Are you convinced? God is good, nothing but good, and only good, and always good. It's very important that your heart is convinced of that. Because what you believe about God will have a great impact and influence upon your life. So, therefore, it's very important to believe the right thing. You know, the Bible talks about the knowledge of God. Paul prays in Ephesians 1. He says, I always pray, every time I remember you, I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The actual original Greek means to have a precise and exact knowledge of his nature and character. So it is very important that you really know who he is. It has been the main strategy of the enemy to distort the picture of God in the minds of people. So therefore we believe that God is different than he is. I was just uh, at the hair salon right now. My wife brought her scissors with her but we didn't have time to get my hair cut. She's been cutting my hair for 33 years but uh, it's been so busy here that she didn't have time. She said, don't go to the hairdresser. I wanna cut it when I get back. But I looked in the mirror. I thought it really needs to be cut. So I went. And I walked in the door just down the road here and uh, the lady was limping towards me and I said, you know when I see people sick limping out on the street I always think, oh Jesus is so good to send these people across my path. So I said to her, you're limping, are you okay? Are you sick? Do you need a miracle? She said, actually, I'm not sick, no. I was just sitting down too much. I need to exercise and lose some weight. That's why I'm limping. But she said, but I do need a miracle. I said, can I pray for you? Oh sure. Do you know, friends, there is all, the harvest is white. The harvest is white. Every day I get to witness to people. Every day. I sit on the plane. The harvest is white. You know, it's, we really, I challenge you to pray, a prayer that I pray usually several times a day. I say, oh, please, Lord, let me lead just one person at least to you today. Just one person. I just want to lead one person to Christ today. Now, I want to lead thousands to Christ. And I have led thousands to Christ. But personally, like one to one, you know, do you know what happens when you really begin to pray this prayer? Suddenly you bump into people everywhere whose hearts are open. Every day. I kid you not. Every day. Just last week, I was in my apartment and I thought, you know, I'm just going to run across the street to bring something to one of our discipuladores, one of our disciples in our church in Goiânia. And I think, no, I'm going to do it later. And then I wait, then I feel, okay, let's go now. So, you know, you need to learn to listen by your belly. This is the most important part of you, right here. It's called the heart. That's where your spirit is sitting. So anyhow, I think I feel this thing in here. Okay, let's go. So now I go, as I walk out of a building, there is another guy standing across the street who is one of our pastors who speaks really good English. And he always likes to practice English with me. I always want to speak Portuguese, you know, to practice my Portuguese. But he always wants to speak English with me. So he begins to speak English. As he does, a lady walks by, hears us speak English, walks over to me and says, Oh, you speak English? I want to practice my English. Where are you from? 15 minutes later, she is in tears. I said, look, come to one of our encounters. I'll pay for you to come. I want to come. I really want to come. We talked about Jesus for about, whatever, half an hour or so. And just an hour ago, I was thinking, It's 8.30 tonight, it's already night and I haven't shared Christ with anybody. And there you go, Christ opened the door again. Do you know the harvest is white, people? It really is white. I'm not going to preach about this. Now, how many of you have not been here at the conference? Raise your hand. Good, just a few of you. So for those of you who have not been here, let me tell you something. We've been talking about the unconditional love of God. We've been talking about the new covenant we've been talking about grace we've been talking about everything starts with God so now that you understand this I'm gonna teach you something about how we need to respond to the grace and unconditional love the Lord has been speaking to me about wasted grace and when he began to talk to me about wasted grace I thought Lord wasted grace I don't want to waste your grace But do you know that the Bible actually talks about wasted grace? Yes, really. Do you know that you can waste the grace of God? Did you know that? Here's what you need to understand. If you get a hold and grasp the new covenant, the radical love of God for you, the unconditional love of God, once you really grasp and get hold of grace, which we all need to, the problem is, if you don't have the right response to grace, you're wasting the grace of God. I meet Christians every week, I preach every week, I travel every week. I sit in approximately 250 airplanes a year. So every week I fly somewhere, travel somewhere, preach somewhere, pray for people, talk to thousands of people, every week this is my life. So. I meet so many Christians, they are wasting the grace of God. Why? Because they have been all law, 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 legalism, 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 law, 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 which is horrible. Now they have tasted the wonderful message of grace the new covenant, which they should have tasted when they got saved. I don't know what gospel they have been preached to. Very sad, they've been preached to the wrong gospel. But anyhow, now because of years of law and legalism and bondage, they taste the grace of God. Now they go to the other extreme. Do you know there is a ditch on either side of the path of life? Do you understand that? The one ditch is legalism and law. The other ditch is lawlessness. Jesus warns about lawlessness. Grace is not lawlessness. I want you to understand. Grace is not lawlessness. Grace is the divine ability upon your life to obey God. Not to obey the 613 commandments, but to live a life in obedience to what the Lord wants us to live. Victory over sin. You know, the New Testament is full of commandments too. When we talk about law and we don't live by the law, what we mean is we do not try to get right with God by obeying the law. No law will make you right before God. It doesn't make me right before God. That was the problem with the old covenant. People tried to get right with God, they try to get a relationship with God by the law. Now they understand, oh, that's not what gets me right before God. I'm not righteous because I obey the law. Now I don't have to obey the law. Now it's true, we don't live by the Ten Commandments or even by the 603 laws, next to the commandments to get right with God or to get anything with God. But yet the New Testament is full of clear commandments. The Apostle John says, I command you children that you walk in love. That's a commandment. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. When it says love one another, it actually talks about this. You you can read my book, uh, Walking in Perfect Love. God challenged me in this. Do you know if you are not willing to die for me or any other brother in the world, that you are a liar if you say you love God? Did you know that? You didn't know that? Well, I don't have time. My goodness, this time is running. I want to preach something else. But anyhow, let me just share, share very quickly. 30 some years ago, 31 years ago, I was asked to go to Romania to help persecuted Christians. That They were persecuted by the communists. They were killed. They were tortured. If I would tell you some of the things they did to them, you would probably be sick to your stomach, so I'm not going to tell you. Horrible. I mean, what they did to even some of my friends so this missionary contacts me and says right i believe that you should come with me to romania to help persecuted christians i was very nice and religious 31 years ago so i said let me go and fast and pray about it so i went up on a mountain hat where there was nothing no power no electricity just a mountain hat and me and i said i'm gonna fast and pray for three days now i went there having already made the decision i'm not going to romania the year after i got married i knew if the communists catch me i'm going to be tortured Possibly I will be killed in a communist prison. I will never marry my beautiful wife. I knew what would happen to me. Because I did it to the Christians all the time. So I went to fast and pray. To ask if God wanted me to go. But in my heart I already said I'm not going. So I went to the mountain. And I was up there on this mountain hat. And I was saying Lord I love you. Lord I love you. Just praising the Lord. And the Lord said to me stop lying to me. I said no Lord I really love you. He said stop lying to me I said Lord I really do love you he said 1 John 4 so I opened my Bible to 1 John four twenty. sorry guys I didn't give you any of these Bible verses I'm probably one of the worst preachers that you ever have me in this place because I text them all the Bible verses that they get ready for me to use and then I quote a million Bible verses that are not in the notes that I gave them I do apologize guys please just be kind with me okay I'm kind with you too thank you so anyhow The Lord said, 1 John 4.20. So I opened my Bible to 1 John 4.20, which says this. He who says he loves God, but does not love his brother, is a liar. Because how can you love God, who you do not see, if you do not love your brother, whom you do see? Now I was like a little, oh my God. And the Lord said, 1 John 3.16, which he quoted. This is love that you lay down, that he's laid down his life for us. And we also need to lay down our life for our brothers. That's a commandment, friends. And the Lord said to me, you're not willing to die in a Romanian prison for your brothers. Therefore, you don't love your brothers. And you do not love me either. Because if you love me, you love your brothers. Therefore, you're lying to me. You know what I did? Collapsed on the floor. Cried, wept, sobbed, got up left the mountain hut and went to Romania. And sure enough, the communists were waiting for me at the border because my Christian brothers betrayed me. American Christian brothers went ahead a day before, they were caught, and they told them that we are coming the next day. So there they were waiting at the border for us. The rest of the story is in my book out there called Communists in the Mirror. I didn't make a promotion from my book, sorry. I didn't, sorry if that came across that way. I really didn't mean to do that, really. But I'm just trying to tell you, grace needs to have a response. If not, it is wasted. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 says this. That one I gave you. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 says this. Paul says, I have worked hard to look, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. The scripture here, this verse, not in in vain, it literally means it was not wasted. It was not void, it was not made for nothing. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So the apostle Paul said, listen, the grace of God was not wasted in my life, it was not wasted, because I worked harder than all of them. In other words, he said, if I would have the attitude, oh well, I'm under grace, life is cool. Don't need to pray, don't need to evangelize, don't need to preach don't need to study the bible no it's it's all good i'm under grace i'm under grace then the grace of god would have been in vain why i don't like it i really don't like it when preachers preach grace means god's unmerited favor grace means God's unmerited favor grace means God's unmerited favor i don't like it you know why i don't like it because it's not true do a little research in the bible grace does not mean it's god's unmerited favor In the Greek, the words have many different meanings depending on the context. I have a friend who speaks 22 languages. He's been a friend of mine for 30 years almost, not quite, 25 years. He was a leader in my church in Austria. Why does he speak 22 languages? Because he's a professor and doctor of Hebrew and Greek. His job has been for 30 years to translate Bibles from the original languages into the many different languages of the world. So I asked him just last, two months ago, I was with him, I said, Jim, which is the best English version? I use the new King James, do you like that? He said, why would I write an English? Bible? he's American. He said, why would I read an English Bible? I read my Bible in Hebrew and Greek. It's like, why would I do that? I said, thanks, Jim. Really helpful. Thank you. (laughs) So anytime I need anything, I ask Jim, hey, Jim, come on, help me out here. What's the real meaning of this? So what I want you to understand, one of the meanings of grace is God's unmerited favor. That's not the meaning. So when preachers says grace means this, it's not true. This is, I love you. I love you. He gave me eight hours, 39 minutes and 50. Oh, it's going up. I love you forever, Helio. You're my best friend. I have until tomorrow morning. Oh, you are so awesome. At nine o'clock, I need to be here to preach. So I can go all the way through till nine o'clock, then sit down, brush it, and come right back up here. Wouldn't have been the first time. Don't you play the games with me? When I go to Poland every two months, I preach about eight hours every day for a couple of days. But anyhow, so one of the meanings of grace is God's unmerited favor. But that's only one of the meaning. Another meaning is the divine influence upon our heart that enables us to do what God wants us to do. That's another meaning. So if preachers say, hey guys, one of the meanings of grace is God's unmerited favor, that's wonderful. But many preachers say grace means... So many Christians have the idea, the only thing that grace means is God's undeserved favor. No matter what I do, I always have his favor. This is true, friends, but that's only one of the meanings. Another facet of grace. Grace is so vast, so rich, so deep, so wonderful. Another facet is that God enables me by supernatural, divine influence upon my heart, by this undeserved favor, he energizes me to do now what I need to do, to live above the average, to have a victory over sin, to be the man that God wants me to be, to be the woman that God wants me to be, not to be bound in sin anymore, and all these things. You see, grace energizes me. Paul said the grace of God was not in vain towards me. In other words, I did not waste the grace of God, guys. I worked harder than all the others because I understood grace. Let me tell you something that, that is a concern of mine, okay? I hope you guys know my heart. But one of the concerns of mine that I have is this. That if grace is not... If grace is not really, balance is the wrong word because you don't need grace. You don't need to balance grace because grace is not unbalanced. But if grace is not really understood in its fullness, then we're going to waste grace. Because if we think grace is just God's favor, what's going to happen? We go to the other side of the path and fall into the other ditch. Suddenly we think grace is a license to live however we want to. But that's not grace. That's the other side of the ditch. And I don't want to fall either in that ditch or on the other ditch. I want to walk on the path of life. Right down the middle. So here is what you need to understand. We have made a mistake in the church of Jesus Christ in general. That we have emphasized gifts, anointing over character. That's a terrible mistake we've made. Terrible mistake we have made. Now gifts and anointing are important. They need to be emphasized very clear. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need to do signs and wonders. We need to cast the devils. We need to heal the sick, no question. Absolutely, we need to do this. But what we have to understand is this. Many people who understand grace Many people who get hold of this incredible divine power and influence and favor that they have, they now get hold of it. What are they doing now? Because they don't understand the importance of character, they are wasting the grace of God in their lives. Since I was 16 years old, I have been preaching. So I've been preaching for about a little over 20 years now. I like that I'm amen. Who said that Amen. Somebody said, I met mean, you're a good guy. Thank you. He made me 36. Love you. These are the amens I like. So anyhow, since I've been 16, I've been preaching. But one of the prayers that I have prayed probably thousands of times is this. Lord, please, please don't let my gifts and my anointing be greater than my character. Please Lord, don't. I want my gifts and my anointing and the character go hand in hand. Now I'm not saying gifts and anointings are not important, but what I'm saying is there are many examples in the Bible where man had gifts but did not have the character to handle the gifts. Many examples I could teach you. From the Bible, but also, not just from the Bible, but from church history. Jesus himself said, on the day I will say to you, he said, many will come, not a few. Many will come and will say to me, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? But I have to say, you depart from me, you doers of wickedness. I never knew you. That's a scripture that has puzzled me my whole life. It's like, in your name. So obviously they knew who they were in Christ. Obviously, there were people who knew of their authority in Christ, but they were doers of wickedness. They have had the grace of God in their lives in vain. In the 50s, there was a powerful healing revival in this nation, here in this country. John J. Lake, Kenneth Hagin was one of the guys, Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne um charles price a lot of this name over 100 healing revivalists they raised the dead friends they raised the dead they healed the sick they moved in the power of the anointing that you cannot imagine they truly understood their identity in christ jesus and truly understood grace and they moved in an anointing and authority that blows your mind this one guy he's one of my favorite dudes this one guy, I mean, like he was in a meeting once with 500 sick people and every single one got healed. Like unimaginable things happened in those days. But do you know that healing revival ended tragically? Did you know that? Out of the over 100 incredible healing revivalists, only a very few ended their lives well. Only very few. Because the rest did not have the character to handle their gifts and the anointing. There is a book about it. It's an old book. The guy did some research and studied it. One of these healing revivalists was an alcoholic. While he was successful in the ministry. You see, the gifts of God are without repentance. God's not going to be... If you understand who you are in Christ, you will do miracles. Even if you're the most horrible person in the world. You have to understand that grace enables me to move in the supernatural, whether my character is right or not, has nothing to do with it. So that's why we must not waste the grace of God. See, here's what I want you to understand anointing, authority, gifts all of these things are 100% God's responsibility. He gives them, it has nothing to do with you. You just receive them by faith. But God gives the gifts. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the gifts, the anointing are God's responsibility. But the character is 100% my responsibility. It has nothing to do with God. And I will explain this to you and show it to you from the scripture. So character is my responsibility. While the anointing and the gifts is God's responsibility in January of 2014 I had a prophetic encounter with God I had a few of those in my life but this one was a very strong one for 56 minutes I was in my bed early in the morning laying in my bed and the Lord just began to speak to me it was God the father this time and he spoke to me for 56 minutes just nonstop. in the whole 56 minutes I could only get three questions in the father was speaking in a voice I could hear it's like I could hear him you know like Hear him, hear him? So I heard him and he spoke to me about so many different things. Many different things. I I remember I interrupted him once. I said, God, please stop. I want to write all these things down. He said, just stay and listen to me. I'm going to write them all of your heart, on your heart. And then when I'm done, you can get up and write down. You will remember it. So anyhow, one of the things he said to me is this. And this is a shocker. (laughs) He said to me, son, I... I want every one of my children to be prosperous. I want every one of my children to be a millionaire. Because I want my children to be blessed and I want the gospel to be preached in the whole world. And I never want money to be a hindrance that my gospel can be preached. And then he said this only few of my children have truly learned how to access the wealth of heaven by faith. And most of them who have learned that are not walking close with me and using the wealth on their own selfish desires. And that makes my heart very sad. Wasted grace. So gifts, anointing, authority, all this is God's part. We have it because we're in Christ. So these healing revivalists in the 50s, this one guy, he was an alcoholic. He would be drunk in his hotel room. He went to this revival meeting with thousands of people. He went to the meeting. He was drunk. They picked him up at the hotel. Drunk. The moment he got on stage under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he preached the most powerful message, completely sober. Sober. People got healed. People got saved. The power got moved. He went back to this hotel and carried on being drunk. After one of the healing revival meetings, he died of alcohol poisoning in his hotel room. Another one had an affair and lived in adultery the whole time while God used him powerfully. Another one stole money from the church and kept stealing it while he was used powerfully by God. Don't be blinded and fooled by gifts and anointing, friends. Don't be. We chase the gifts, you know. If somebody moves in some kind of anointing, we chase these people. We must not do this. We don't need to chase anybody. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are all equal. In the church, there is no positional thinking. That's something that came in 300 after Christ. That clericalism was never in the heart of God. Apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers are functions, not position. I don't have a position in the church. I'm equal with you. You are my brother. You are my sister. I'm not above you. I'm not more important than you. The Bible says the one who has least honor, we give more honor. The weakest, we give more honor. So this position of thinking is not the heart of God. I'm your brother. I'm equal to you. I dare not think for one minute that I'm more important than you. That would be pride, arrogance, and very unscriptural. So I don't consider myself more important than anybody. So we must be very careful that we don't chase and be fooled and blinded just by anointing gifts authority and people who've learned to walk in this new covenant power and authority. Every Christian should walk into it. Now, I'm not saying that it's not important to walk in our authority. You heard me preach. You know me well enough. Of course, we need to walk by faith. We need to walk in the authority of heaven. We need to walk in the anointing. We need to cast the devils. We need to heal the sick. We need to access the wealth of heaven. Of course, we need to do this. But what I want you to understand is we must make sure that it is never said of us the grace of God has been wasted in our life. It was in vain because we did not have the character to handle the wonderful riches and the fullness of the grace of God. So how does character happen? How can we make sure that our character is actually a character that can handle all that we are in Christ? It's a very important question. Now, remember, I'm not saying the anointing gifts are not important. I'm saying they're very important. But I'm saying our character has to grow equally with this. If we just promote each other according to gifts and anointings and authority and don't care about the character, we are not helping the people and we are not helping the church of Jesus Christ and not ourselves. So here is how character is developed. First of all, gifts and anointings are given. Character is developed. It's not a thing that God gives you. It's a thing that is developed. How it is developed is 100% your responsibility. That has nothing to do with grace. It has nothing to do with who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is not your character. You are a new creation because you are in Christ Jesus. That's your position. But now you walk that out. That's your character. So how is character developed? Character is developed by your attitude. See, one of the great lies that the devil has put in the minds of people is this. That, sorry, I just can't help it. I can't help being the way I am. I'm trying to be a different person. I I just can't help it. You know, my past, my parents, my mom, my daughter, circumstances. You know, you have to understand. You have to excuse me. I'm sorry, I have a short temper. You just have to excuse me. My parents were like this you have to understand that my dad was angry my mom was angry I was abused as a child I never had a father so I have this character you have to understand this for character weakness and wrong character there is no excuse you know why? because character is your responsibility nobody is responsible for developing your character but you so how do you develop your character? you develop your character by having the right attitude having the right attitude is a choice It's a simple choice that you make. And it's a choice that you can make. You have been enabled by God to make the choice. God gave us free will. Nobody can make the choices for you. Our actions are important. Very important. How I act, how I behave is important. But do you know our reactions are more important than our actions? Because our reactions can destroy our actions. So what do I mean by reactions? What I mean by reactions is very simple. How I react to circumstances, to pressure, to difficulties. How I react to all the normal things that are part of life. That develops my character. Because how I react to it shows my attitude. I am never responsible for what happens to me. That's out of my control. Now of course, if things happen to me because I make some stupid choices, That's my fault. But in general, things happen to us. People treat us rudely. People are unkind to us. People are mean to us. Things happen to every person. Terrible things happen. We've all passed through difficult moments. Christians and non-Christians. It's part of life, friends. It's just part of life. So you are not responsible for what happens to you. But you are responsible for your reaction to what happens to you. And your reaction to what happens to you is your attitude, which then will develop your character, which enables you to handle the gift and the anointing of God well. So therefore, you know, I've been a pastor for so long, such a long time. I was ordained when I was 19 years old. So I'm 56. I've been a pastor for 30, 55. I've been a pastor for 36 years. And this is one of the questions I ask myself over and over again. When I was a local pastor, I watched people getting saved. Same background, kind of same family background, same mess, same everything. Very similar circumstances. One becomes an incredible man or woman of God very quickly, matures very fast. The other one has been a Christian for 10 years and still hasn't matured. And this has puzzled me. It has puzzled me because I've been a new covenant, grace, faith preacher for pretty much my whole life. Pretty much. So this puzzled me. Lord, how come they have the same message, they hear the same verse, they hear the same revelations. How come that one develops such incredible maturity in a quick, short time and the other one doesn't? Maturity as a Christian has nothing to do with time, friends. It is not a matter of time. You can be a Christian for 20 years and be totally immature as far as your character is concerned. And suddenly I began to pray and study and seek the Lord. And this is what I found out. It's so clear. The reaction to what happens to these people is different. That's how they mature. One has the right attitude and they grow and grow and grow and mature and mature. The other ones have the wrong attitude. Blame everybody else. Mom, dad, circumstances, other people, everybody's, it's everybody else's fault, just not mine. Their character never develops. What you need to understand is this whatever happens to you, if you have the right attitude to what happens in your life, it will develop your character. Every time, every time you pass something difficult, every time you pass through something hard and difficult, and you have the right attitude your character is developed every time so if you have a right character which is your responsibility because you choose which attitude you have towards circumstances then what's going to happen is then suddenly your reaction is different to other people now your character is being developed now you can handle all the gifts of god the anointing of god the power of god the new covenant stuff because you have now the character to handle these things and that is so important for me it is my character is so important I said to the Lord so many times Lord everybody knows me for prophesying and healing the sick and the miracles I don't want to be known for this stuff I want to be known for a man who loves everybody even his enemy I want to be known Reinhard loves you no matter what you do he just loves people because that's character I don't, want to, I don't want to be known for my gifts. God gave them to me. There's nothing like, you know, oh, wow, you prophesied such powerful prophecy. Well, what did I do? I opened my mouth and the Spirit of God spoke through me. It's like, what's that got to do with me? Nothing. What is my responsibility is my character. So let's look at the scriptures because the only example that we can take is the example of Jesus Christ himself paul said follow me as i follow christ you know we believe in discipleship in Videra. i do too i have some wonderful disciples i really do i have disciples in different nations of the world and they are really strong disciples and so no you cannot imagine how i can have disciples in nations of the world today it's very easy because i meet with my disciples on skype it's true so i have disciples in austria i have disciples in england i have disciples in poland you know, I've got disciples in Germany. I've got disciples in different nations of the world. In Brazil. So, what you need to understand is this. I strongly believe in discipleship. But what did Jesus teach us? Jesus taught us this. He taught us this. Go and preach the gospel and make disciples. Disciples of whom? Disciples of him. Not disciples of us. If you have a disciple, don't make them your disciple. They need to become Christ's disciple. Because Jesus said this, make disciples, teach them to keep everything that I commanded you. So what Jesus said, make them my disciples. Don't teach them your stuff, teach them my stuff. So if you are a good discipler, you will take your disciples to Christ. You will connect them to Christ. If you connect your disciples to yourself, you have failed as a disciple. If you connect them to Christ, you are a great discipler. Very important to understand this. So now Jesus is our only model. So we have to look what attitude did Jesus have. Because remember, attitude develops character. Attitude is how you react to things around you. What do you do when things go wrong? What do you do when things are not the way that you want them to be? So now let's look what the attitude of Jesus was. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read from verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any anticipation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. By the way, this word, the same mind, one of the Greek meanings is being of the same attitude. That's one of the meanings. Being of the same attitude, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind, attitude, having this attitude among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Continue please, verse 9 and verse 10. If you can. So remember verse 5. And let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus also. And now it it tells us which attitude Jesus had and what was his attitude are you able to get verse 9 up there for me okay five seconds one two there you go and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve for this excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ now look at verse five may this mind be in you which also which was also in Christ Jesus this is what it really means which is yours in Christ Jesus you know this is not my favorite translation the real meaning is which was in Christ Jesus because it's comparing and it's telling you about all the attitude that Jesus had okay so here's what Paul is saying he said let this attitude be in you now I have a question whose responsibility is this yours or God's You can answer me when I pray, it's not a trick question. If God says, let this attitude be in you, whose responsibility is your attitude? It's yours. The Bible doesn't say, grace will put this attitude in you. Doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. God is gonna give the attitude. No, let this attitude be in you. That's 100% your decision, your choice, and your responsibility. So my attitude is my responsibility which develops my character. I told my wife. I said, sweetheart, in our house, complaining is forbidden. There is no complaining about nothing. That's an attitude problem. I said, we say thank you, Jesus, no matter what happens. If everything goes to... Oops, I almost said something that I'm not allowed to say in the video the other church. If everything goes down the drain, if everything goes to pieces... I'm allowed to say that. If everything goes to pieces, we say, thank you, Jesus. We don't complain, period. Because it's an attitude. My attitude develops my character. My character helps me not to waste the grace of God. So one day, we came home from traveling through Europe for four weeks. We live in Guyana, hot, 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 hot. We came home from traveling four weeks. And a few days after we left Guyana, they cut off our electricity Because it's Brazil, because in the apartment that we lived four years ago Meanwhile many people lived in that apartment and rented it But four years ago, somebody didn't pay the power bill So four years later, they decide, let's cut it off So they cut it off soon after I left Now you imagine, almost four weeks of traveling, coming home 90, 95 degrees every day no AC and no electricity. So I walk in after traveling 25 hours and through the night and tired and it was dark already. I opened the door and turned on the light. There is no light. My wife said, oh, what's gone wrong? And then as we step into our apartment and turn on my cell phone flashlight, a stench hits me like, oh my God. And I follow the stench into the kitchen. There was a blood bottle on the floor, dried blood by the fridge. Why? Because the power has been cut off and the freezer, all the meat got rotten and I opened the door and it was filled with maggots. Filled with maggots, rotten meat, maggots, the stench you cannot imagine. And the first thing my wife said is, oh no, there's a I said, hey, what's the deal? In this house, there is no complaining. Maggots, oh, said, uh-uh. It's not easy to be married to me, I tell you that. But, uh-uh, uh-uh. So I grabbed her hand. I said, what do we say? I don't want to say it. <laughs> well, it's not the matter what you want to say. It's a matter of what you're going to do, you know. Just do it. I said, no, sweetie. We will not complain about anything. That's not the attitude that we have so come on we're not gonna go anywhere come on okay thank you Jesus well that's the right thing said but with the wrong attitude let's try this again all right thank you Jesus getting better but still not the right attitude finally she said okay thank you Jesus all things work for good thank you Jesus thank you Jesus see that's an attitude attitude develops character character helps me not to waste the grace of God So we need to understand this. If we have the right attitude and react right to every circumstance in our life, we will develop our character and become men and women, not just filled with the power and anointing and authority of heaven, but also of the character of Jesus Christ. People have a right to see the gospel in two ways. Signs, wonder and miracles. And when they look at your life. Jesus said this, let your light shine before men, so that they will praise your father in heaven. How did he say our light shines? That they see our good deeds. See, that's character. People need to see the gospel by power and authority, but they need to see it also by your character, which is only developed by your attitude, which is 100% your responsibility. My wife and me have an agreement. This is our agreement. Whenever we go through a really difficult time, whenever things go hard, and, you know, we, we are very happy. We love what we're doing. But it's not easy sometimes. It's like, just now, last month, for 34 days, I had not slept in my own bed. Not because I was on vacation. I didn't have a single day of vacation. Because I traveled to many different nations. And it's sometimes hard because you sleep in a bed and they give you some cheap crappy hotel room where the mattress is so horrible that you wake up after four hours sleep and the back is killing you. And you know, it's like stuff is this normal part of our life. So anyhow, so my wife and me, we made an agreement. We have two things that we constantly say to each other. When one of us goes through a difficult time, we look at each other and we say, you're a missionary. It's okay, you're a missionary. <laughs> so when she says, oh... You're a missionary. You're a missionary. Missionaries can do that. Missionaries have a different attitude. Come on. Come on, baby. What are you? Okay, I'm a missionary. But we have another thing that we say to each other all the time. Constantly. We have incredible friends in Colorado, in Fort Collins. Just wonderful friends. God supernaturally connected us with these people. They're a young group of people which went there to plant a church. A few years ago, I was up there preaching at the church. I was hanging out with the pastors and leaders. And my wife was in the house of the pastor, hanging out with the pastor's wife and the uh, wives of the leaders. They had a little girl. They have a little girl. Three-year-old, cute, delicate, sweet little blonde girl. Her name is Bella. Just so sweet and delicate. It's a Bella, but they call it Bella. So Debbie was playing with Bella. Debbie was sitting on the floor. Bella was sitting across from her. Bella was throwing a ball at Debbie. Debbie caught the ball and threw the ball back to Bella. It was just one of those light plastic balls, you know. Bella tried to catch the ball but missed the ball and the ball hit her in the face. Bella immediately said, "I I'm fine." "I fine." Bella threw the ball back to Debbie and the ball touched Debbie's face. And Bella immediately said, "You fine." "You fine." When Debbie came home in the evening and told me that, I said, baby, that's it. That's exactly it. This is one of the most profound sermons I've had in my entire life. I said, this will be part of our life from the day on. I said, from the day on, two things we will say to each other whenever we go through a difficult time. You missionary, you fine. You fine. We have said to each other thousands of times, you fine. Thousands of times. Something happens terrible and one of us just thinks for a split second, mm, I don't like this. The other one immediately says, You fine, you fine, you missionary, you fine. Look to the person next to you and say, You fine, you missionary. <laughs> and now say, I fine, I'm missionary you know that you are a missionary did you know that the bible says we are ambassadors for christ that's the definition of a missionary that's not the pastors every christian is an ambassador for christ which means every christian is a missionary so every christian needs to be fine it doesn't mean we don't pass through difficult times. It means we have the attitude, I find. I'm missionary, I find. You know, Paul learned the secret in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I didn't give them this verse either, so don't worry. I'll just quote it. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People have quoted this verse a million times out of context. They go to a test in school and haven't studied and they keep declaring, Oh, I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. I'm going to pass this test and then they fail. Why didn't that work? Because that's not what Paul said. Do you know what he said in which context? He said, I have learned to be content in all things. I can be poor, I can be rich. I can be in nothing or I can be in abundance because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Paul said, I have learned, I find, I'm missionary. That's what it would be in the modern Bible. So if you can learn the secret, that attitude is developing a character that's your responsibility you can become the man and woman of God if you learn this secret together with the revelation of the new covenant and grace and who you are in Christ you will be an unstoppable force in this world Amen. nothing can stop you because suddenly we have this right attitude okay, i find fine, I'm missionary my wife and me say this to ourselves all the time I kid you not Constantly, when anything goes wrong, anything doesn't go the way we want, we look at each other, okay. I find I'm missionary. I find it's true, I fine. Because you know what I've learned? I've learned this very simple secret. When you face something difficult, which we all do, you face something difficult, okay? Now I get irritated, I get upset, I don't like it, my flesh doesn't like these things because it wants to be selfish and blah 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 blah. You know, I've traveled the world. I've talked to thousands and tens of thousands of people personally. I've not yet met one selfish, happy, satisfied person. Not one. Did you know that? I deliberately keep trying to find them. I couldn't find one yet. I've never found one person that is self-centered and truly happy. Never. The self-centered people are the most miserable people that I count. Do you know who the happiest people are? Who've surrendered the self? You know, we surrender our money, we surrender our job, we surrender our dreams, we surrender our hope, and we keep sitting on the throne. How stupid is that? Kick yourself off the throne, put Christ there, and you don't have to surrender anything else. It's like, it's that simple. It's that simple. If you are off the throne, so is your money, so is everything else. The root of all the problem is self-centeredness, you know, like this is the root of all the things that we encounter in our life that cause us so many difficulties. Because I don't have my way, I don't, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. That's attitude. Just get yourself off the throne, place Christ on the throne. You are valuable in Him, you're loved in Him, you're worthy in Him, get Him on the throne. Remember, you're not created for yourself, you're created for Him. And once you begin to live like this, life will make sense. It will be wonderful. So let's have the right attitude towards all circumstances. Let's quickly look at the attitude that Jesus had. Because verse 5 in Philippians 2 says, Let this mind, let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus also. So you need to make the choice tonight to have the same attitude that Christ had. So let's look at his attitude. Verse 6. He who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So the first attitude that he had, he did not fight for possession. This sounds like, what does this mean? He, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality, equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or this other version says, he did not count it robbery. Well, here is the meaning in the original. It means he did not seize it like a robber does. You know when you rob something, you grab hold of something, you seize it and you don't let it go. That's what it means. Christ had the attitude, although he was equal with God, he did not grasp it and hold on to it. He did not grab it and hold on to it. He let it go. He let his position go. He says, I don't need to hold on to my position. Even though I am God, I make the choice to let it go. Do you know Jesus didn't have to die on the cross? He could have said no. He said, if I ask my father, he will send me legions of angels. And this whole thing is over before the cross happens. He chose it because he loves you so passionately he looked through the millenniums and saw you and said okay I'm gonna have the attitude I'm not gonna hold on to my position so if you hold on to your position listen I'm a pastor don't treat me like this listen I'm important you know I understand the principle of honor I do understand it but let me tell you what the Bible says honor all men Peter says it very clearly So I appreciate how much I'm honored here in this church. I do. And I'm always honored when I come here. I appreciate this. Gus has shown me so much honor. It's just really wonderful. I've been honored, Jimmy. I've been honored. I've been honored. I've been honored. Wonderful. But we must not make the mistake that the only people we honor who have a position. I want to honor you. Whoever you are. Because scripture clearly says honor one another. So everybody who I meet, I want to treat with honor. That's the kingdom. That's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus did not hold on to his position. He did not consider something, I've got a right to my position. That's the first attitude we have. We must not have this attitude, okay, now I'm a pastor. Everybody needs to treat me different. I'm a discipler. I'm a circle leader. Everybody, do you know who I am? Friends, let's not hold on to position. Let's not do this. But look, the second attitude that Jesus had is in verse 7. It says, But he made himself of no reputation, or he made himself of he made himself of nothing. He made himself nothing. Look, the first thing is he didn't hold on to it, then he went a step further. He made himself nothing by choice. That's an attitude. Do you know what Jesus said? You want to be great in the kingdom, you have to become the servant of all. There is one time only where Jesus referred to himself as Lord. Who knows where he did it will get a free book from me. Raise your hand. Who? No. I, I want to, uh, hang on. Raise your hand. I will call you. No. Where he referred to himself as Lord four more people have a chance yeah back there no you no no you speak louder no okay one last one you when he asked the the, the donkey for him no Okay, the only time where Jesus referred to himself, where he acknowledged, listen, I'm the Lord, is this. Jesus said this, you call me Lord and Master, and so I am. Where did he say this? In John chapter 13. And he took a towel and humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet. When Peter said, you're not going to do this to me. And he said, yes, I will. Do you know they had three types of servants in the Jewish culture? One servant, he was like in charge of the boss's estate. The other servant, he was cooking the food and serving it. And there was a third type of servant. He was washing the feet of the people. They walked without shoes or sandals on the dusty roads. Their feet were filthy when they entered the house. And they had this low class of servants. This servant was never allowed to serve at the table. Because he had the dirtiest of all the dirtiest jobs. That's the only thing he was allowed to do. That's why when Jesus girded himself with a towel and washed the feet, Peter said, No way, you're not no, you're not going to make yourself that, that low to me. And Jesus said, You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. And then he said, You do the same to each other. You see, Matthew twenty twenty eight says this the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to be a servant. So the attitude that Jesus had is to be a servant. That was the attitude. I tell you what, at this conference I have seen some of you people with such a wonderful servant attitude. Wonderful servant attitude. If your desire is, I want to be up here to be seen by everybody. I want to play the guitar. I want to be in the restaurant. I want to, I want to, I want to, you know. It's good if you were up here. But your attitude needs to be, I want to be a servant. I want to make myself nothing. That's what I want to do. Where can I serve? You know, when I started the ministry, I've said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to be the leader of the people. I'm going to be the servant of the people. I will make myself nothing. Absolutely nothing. I will absolutely have the attitude that Christ had. And I will do everything to be a servant of everybody. That was the attitude that Christ had. So if you truly want to have the attitude of Christ, remember attitude develops character, then make yourself nothing. Because in the kingdom, the way up is down. That's how it is. You humble yourself, he exalts you. You exalt yourself, you're going to fall off your throne and hurt yourself. And if you have the wrong theology, you think God kicked you off. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. We hurt ourselves by our wrong attitudes. So make yourself nothing. Just say, Jesus, I know who I am in Christ. Do you know? I have no doubt who I am in Christ. I know. I'm loved, I'm perfect, I'm just like Jesus before God. In, before God, I'm equal to Jesus. I know who I am in Christ. I have no doubt. I don't have a complex, I don't wake up with insecurity, I don't have any of these problems. I don't, because I know who I am in Christ. But I choose to make myself nothing. I choose to make myself no reputation. That's my choice. I choose to. I choose to. I've been asked to do national television to talk about my ministry and stuff. I refuse to. I said no. People said that's your opportunity to get your... I said I don't want my face to be on television. I don't want the whole world to know who I am. I don't want that. I deleted my Facebook years ago because I don't want that. I have a Facebook page now again, but not because I opened it, because this woman in Sao Paulo said, God told me, God told me, you can bless people, you can bless people, I will do it for you. I said, look, if you do it, you can do it, but leave me out of it. So I just sent her WhatsApp messages and I feel the Lord is saying, and she does the Facebook page. I don't even know what is going on there. You know why I deleted my Facebook page? Because of this. Because I realized that the attitude of 90% of Facebook people is this. Look at me. Do you see this picture? Here, here, see this? Look at my selfie, look like, 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 you know. That's not the attitude of Christ, people. Why don't we post on Facebook, look what Jesus did. Why don't we poke on Facebook, look at Christ. Why don't we post on Facebook, look about this incredible thing that the Lord did. Why do we have such an urge to show the whole world who we are? It's attitude, attitude develops character. Maybe I'm stepping on some toes here, but it's gonna be good if it, your toes are stepped on if they need to. Remember, Christ is our model. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He didn't hold on to his position. Because of this attitude, of course, he had the character. You know, we talk about we want to show the character of Christ. You really want to show the character of Christ? The character of Christ is developed by your attitude. You know, there's this wrong, this terrible theology. It's like, this really theology, you know, like God is humbling you and God is sending you to the wilderness until your character is developed. I know we've all preached it, I know. But let me tell you my understanding. In the new covenant, God doesn't send anybody into the wilderness. He did in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, you leave Egypt and go straight into the Promised Land. Well, but the way to the Promised Land is through the wilderness. Sure, but Christ went to the wilderness for me. Forty days, forty nights, being tested, being tempted. Being tested and being tempted. Now I can go to the Promised Land. But now, that's too simple. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the gospel means. Too good to be true. Too good to be true news. <laughs> so my God is not sending me in the wilderness to develop my character. Of course, that's the old covenant. It, we, I know all the stories and the examples. I've preached them myself long, long, long time ago. I understand this. But character in the New Testament is developed by your attitude, which is your responsibility. God is not going to do it. Why would God do it? Just think. God knows you react wrong in the difficult circumstances, so he sends you through the difficult circumstances 15 times, and all you come is bitter instead of better, and he knows that because he's God and he keeps doing that? Really? You really believe that? Well, he just keeps sending me the wilderness until I learn a lesson. He knows he'll never learn it, but he keeps sending me anyhow. Really? No, we send ourselves in the wilderness by our wrong decisions. God doesn't. This man in Poland came to me, he said, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I said, sure, what's your problem? He said, God has convicted me of my pride. Please pray for me. I want God to humble me. I said, sorry, not praying. But he said, but God showed me my pride. I really want him to humble me. I said, sorry, not praying. So he got mad at me. I said, why is he mad at me? He said, because I want you to pray that God will humble me. I said, no, the scripture said, humble yourself. James chapter 4 so clearly. Humble yourself into the mighty hand of God. I said, I'm not going to ask God to do something to you that you were supposed to do. It's like, why? I don't like to confuse God. Like, God humble him. Well, I wrote in the Bible. No, God humble him. But I wrote in the Bible. Well, I, don't, I know what you wrote, but I don't care about it. Humble him anyhow. But I wrote, you confuse me. Why should I do this? So I said, Look, I'm not going to pray for you. To humble yourself is your choice. It's an attitude. You do it. If you don't want to humble yourself, God's not going to humble you. So anyhow, three, four months later, I was back at the same place and he came to me. He said, you know, I was so mad at you. He said, I'm sorry. God really showed me. It was so right. Now that I humbled myself, my life changed. Friends, here's what I learned this attitude. If you go through something really difficult in your life, now you have this bad attitude, you know, like, I don't like my circumstances, you complain, <laughs> I don't like the circumstances, I complain, I fuss about it, I want things to change, I like the pastor treated me wrong, the disciples treated me wrong, the leader treated me wrong, my father treated me wrong, everybody treated me wrong, just I'm right, <laughs> you know, this attitude, you know what I learned in my life, things are very hard because of your attitude, the moment you change your attitude, it's not even hard anymore. It's like, for instance, your pastor asks you, you know what, during the conference, I want you to be out there with the kids. No, I don't want to be with the kids. I want to hear Pastor Reiner preach. No, I really want you to be out there. No, I don't want to... In the end, you have no choice. So if you have the wrong attitude, it's going to be miserable for you. If you change your attitude, it's not even going to be hard to be with the kids. It's true. Once we change our attitude, the tasks that we have to handle are not really so, such a big deal. I just experienced this in England. In April, I preached in England, a church that I helped plant where I'm part of the leadership, oversight leadership team. And I got there in April and one of the leaders' wife, her sister-in-law is the main pastor's wife. And on Saturday night, her sister-in-law called her and said, please, Candy, tomorrow night you have to do the kids' ministry for me. And Candy, she's got four kids herself, four boys, little boys. She said, Amanda, I don't want to do it. I have done it more this year than anybody else in my church, in our church. More than anybody else. I've always jumped in for anybody. I've been looking forward for months to listen to Reinhard preach. He preaches one meeting only on Sunday morning. And I've been so looking forward. Amanda said, look, you have to do it. My little boy is sick. He's got a fever. I can't take him to church. I've got nobody who looks after him. I've got to stay home. You've got to do it. But I don't want to do it. Look, I really don't have an option. Candy, you've got to do it. It's so, okay. She did it. So she walked on Sunday morning into the kids' meeting with this attitude. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it, you know. I just have to do it because she asked me to do it. I don't have to do it. And the Lord said to her, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for Amanda or are you doing it for me? And she said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm doing it for Amanda. I'm sorry. And the Lord said, didn't I write in the Bible, do everything that you do unto me? So why are you doing it for Amanda when you're supposed to do it for me? And she said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. She changed her attitude. She told me that herself. She changed her attitude and they had the most powerful kids meeting. The presence of God was manifest. The kids were touched and changed. She was full of joy. It was an amazing meeting. And many times we miss an amazing opportunity simply because of a bad attitude. If we change our attitude and say, look, I'm the servant. I choose to be the servant. I choose to make myself nothing. I know who I am in Christ. So now I choose to make myself nothing because I already know who I am. I don't need to hold on to my position. And once we change that attitude, you know what's going to happen? Things become so much easier than they used to be. Now, the third part of the attitude, of course, he made himself nothing. Verse 7 again says, he took the form of a bondservant. I'm going to wrap up here because you guys have been very, very patient. Tomorrow morning is a nine o'clock meeting. So he took the firm form of a bond servant. Verse eight, he being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. So the other attitude that Christ had is Christ choose. He chose to be obedient. You know, he didn't have to do this. He said, I choose. Father, your will be done, not mine. So he had the attitude he didn't grab for position. He had the attitude he chose not just grab onto the position, but he chose to just make himself nothing. He had the attitude to be a servant. Be the servant of all. I choose to be a servant. And then he had the attitude to be obedient. Lord, I will be obedient. Do you know that obedience releases the miracle many times? I cannot tell you, the Lord taught me this in a way that was so ridiculously crazy. You know, we all want to see the miracles, but we are very... Here is, here is the deal. Every Christian wants to walk on water, but nobody wants to leave the security of the boat. That's the real deal. It's like, Lord, if you turn the water solid, I'm going to leave the boat. The Lord says, sorry, that's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works, you leave all the security, you risk risk drowning... And then by faith, step out of the boat and then the water will carry you. I remember a little meeting that I preached at years ago in uh, uh, Spokane, Washington, at a friend of mine's church. And uh, a pastor friend of mine had a word of knowledge that there are some people here who God wants to heal their legs. So three people come to the front. One of them comes limping. I mean, literally limping. I mean, like this, you know, really limping to the front. So I said to my pastor friend, you pray for this first one here. I start to pray for this one. So I lay my hands on this dude. He looks like a bum from the street, you know, dirty clothes, dirty pants, smelly, stinky, like yucky. Anyhow, I lay my hands on him and the Lord says to me, kneel down and kiss his foot. And I go like, no. (laughs) I look at all the people and here are my thoughts. They will all think I'm stupid. I look at my wife and I think, she already knows I'm stupid. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do it. Whatever. If I miss the Lord and heard wrong, what the heck? Let's make myself look stupid. So I quickly kneel down, kiss the guy's dirty foot, and get up again. Very quickly, like, up. <laughs> I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. I have the right attitude, you know? Look at me. The Lord said, do it again so I do it again very quickly again the Lord said do it again now by now I figured you know what he's probably gonna keep saying this so I might as well just take my time you know like I'm not going to do whatever sit-ups here or something like might as well take your time so I go down I kneel down I kiss his foot I get up and the Lord said tell him to walk because he's healed I said really so I said to the man walk As I said to the man, walk, he got up and he looked at me. First, he looked at me shocked because I never prayed. I never did anything. Just kiss his dirty foot. I said, walk. He looks at me and he goes, okay. And he walks like this. 100% healed. Completely healed. Now, I'm driving home to the house where he stayed. And I said, Lord, you and me need to have a conversation. I need some explanation how does kissing a dirty foot heal a leg you know the scriptures full of this Jesus took a blind man he said come here spits on the ground puts all the mud in his eyes and then he says go and wash yourself and he didn't get healed until he went and washed himself how about the lepers Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests. They were not allowed to come to the priests if they were full of leprosy. They had to be outside. Jesus did not say you were healed. Now go yourself, show it to your priest. That would have been the right process. Jesus said, while you were full of leprosy, go. As they obeyed, the miracle was released. And the entire Bible is full of stories where the miracle didn't happen until people obeyed. So I learned that. I believe in radical obedience. If you read it in the book, if it's there, don't discuss it, obey it. The Bible is not written for debate or for discussion, it's written for obedience. It's that simple. It's in there, do it. We have the grace, we have the divine empowerment. Your attitude is your choice. Be obedient, humble yourself, be the servant of all, and you know what will happen? The miracles will be released. Just recently, I was in Macapá, in the north of Brazil, and I was sick as a dog. Because up there, I drank water from the Amazon River, which you're not supposed to do, people told me. I'm very careless about things like these. So I got the most ridiculous, like 3 o'clock in the morning, I was up, and I was sitting on the toilet from 3 o'clock till 6 o'clock in the morning. It's just running through me, you know, this diarrhea. And I think, Lord, I have to be in three meetings today. How am I going to do that? So I didn't eat and drink anything to make sure that nothing can run out of me you know but stuff is in your system so I'm in the meeting and I preach and I'm standing up there preaching and I think I better say amen quick before I crap myself it's like you know because it happened before (laughs) happened before really happened before you know I said to my wife I've got to stop prophesying she said you can't look at the people are waiting she said I said I have to stop She said, you can't, people are waiting. I said, no, you know I've got the rear. She said, that's okay, just keep prophesying. I said, no, sweetie, I've got the rear. She said, yeah, I know, but just keep prophesying. I said, no, you don't know, it's running down my leg. (laughs) Well, she said, it's already running down your leg anyhow, so keep going. So this experience has been a long time ago. That was in November 99. Now this year in March, I'm back in Macapah. And I have, you know, this terrible diarrhea again. I think, Lord, I'm in and run to the bathroom. And as I leave the building and run out back to the bathroom. There is a man sitting. He's crippled from an accident. He's, I mean, crippled. He can't walk, you know. Crippled from an car accident. And the Lord said to me, grab him by the hand, jerk him out of the seat and tell him in the name of Jesus walk. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do that. But first, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I did because I figured he can't run away anyhow. He's a cripple. Where is he going to go? So I go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I come back and I I walk up to the man. But you know, here's the deal. Oh yeah, it's that easy. Friends, there is always the mind in the life of faith. Are you sure this is the Lord? Are you sure? What is if nothing happens? You know when the devil said to me, what if nothing happens? I say to him, what if something happens? Huh? Huh? The devil will do everything to get us to find an excuse to be disobedient. Always. So I don't debate with this stuff. If God says it, I do it that's it it's like okay so i walk up to the guy He was a big guy i grab his hand and i chuck him out of the seat and i said in the name of jesus walk and he sharks out of the seat and he runs from the very back the building was longer than this from the back he runs to the front all the way to the front and he runs around runs around and rejoices begins to dance you know begins to cry what would have happened if I wouldn't have learned to live a life of obedience? What would have happened? So I wonder, my, I wonder, how many miracles have you missed because we have not chosen to have the attitude of obedience. Remember, attitude develops your character. That's your responsibility. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let's have that attitude. So from the day on, here is the deal. You find, you missionary. That's the deal. No other attitude is allowed. My friend, you're the pastor of the youth, right? Right? So here's the deal. This youth group, from the day on, they are all missionaries and they're all fine. If any member of your youth group ever complains to you about anything, just look them in the eye and say, you find your missionary, change your attitude. Change your attitude. And as we change our attitude, our character develops. And what will happen? We will not waste the grace of God. And we will be men and women of God who can handle the anointing, who can handle the authority of heaven, who can handle all the gifts that God has for us. Because we have made the choice to develop our attitude by making the choice to have, to develop our character by making the choice to having the right attitude. It's so simple and yet so profound. It's so easy and yet so powerful. It saddens my heart. You know one of the greatest sadnesses I carry? Because I love people. I genuinely care for people. I do. I, I just love people. I just love people. One of my greatest sadnesses that I carry is to meet people who I can see their potential in God so clearly. It's like, oh, you know who you could be in God? Do you know what you could do for the kingdom? Do you know that life is wasted simply because of the wrong character, we've just been produced by the wrong attitude. And I think If you could change your attitude, you would develop your character. You could do such an incredible thing. You have wasted the 10 years of your life because of your character, which is because of your stupid attitude. Please, just get it. Just get it. God is not going to send you in the wilderness because attitude is your responsibility. So he's not going to do it. If you walk through the wilderness, it's because you are walking through the wilderness, for whatever reason. We don't need to walk through the wilderness. As we walk through difficulties, we can use the difficulties to change our attitude. You have the right attitude, and our character changes. When we moved to Brazil, every week, Pastor Luiz, said to me, Are you okay, Pastor Reinhardt? I said, I'm fine. Are you okay? I'm fine. Are you okay with the culture? I'm fine. Are you okay with the heat? I'm fine. Are you okay? I'm fine. Every single week, I said, Pastor Lucio, I'm fine. He said, do you need something? I said, no. Can I help you? No. Every week. So, you know, one day he asked me again. I said, Pastor Lucio, let me explain something to you. Yes, the culture in Brazil is different. Completely different to my European culture. I'm European, not even American. I said, yes, everything is different here. Everything is different. But let me explain something to you, I've learned when I was young that I am not going to complain and whine and cry to God to change my circumstances. I simply use my circumstances to change my character and become the man that God wants me to be. It's that simple Pastor Luizio, you can relax, I will always be fine. So he doesn't ask me anymore, are you fine? Because you know I'm always fine because I'm a missionary. It's an attitude, it really is that simple. It's an attitude. Do you know if we want to conquer our nations, if we think it's easy, it's not going to be easy. Whoever wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. We will suffer persecution from many different sides. People will talk bad about us, people will fuss at us, people will resist us. Of course, it will happen. It's not like America's waiting. Oh, finally, Videra has arrived. Oh, I'm so excited that I can finally meet you and get saved, you know. Yes, lots of people will get saved. Thousands and hundreds of thousands. I know there is a harvest, but I know there is resistance coming too. That's part of the package. So what are we going to do when we face resistance? If you have the wrong attitude, you're not going to live your potential. But I want you to live your potential. I really do. I want every person in this room to reach their potential in God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for these wonderful, precious people. Father, I thank you for these amazing young people. Lord, I thank you that they have learned who they are in Christ. I thank you that they're part of the eternal covenant of peace. I thank you, Father, that everyone is loved in you. I thank you that everyone is understanding more and more the true grace that we have from you. Father. I ask you, oh, Father, I cry out to you, please, I pray that by your help, by the help of the Holy Spirit, who is constantly active and working in us and who helps us to do the things we need to do, I pray, Father, that through the help of your Holy Spirit, that nobody in this room will waste the grace of God. I pray that it will not be said of a single young person here, oh, the grace of God has been in vain in their lives. Father, may it be said of everyone, oh, the grace of God was not in vain in us because we had the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, I pray that you will help every one of us. I pray that you keep speaking to us. I pray that you keep encouraging us. I pray that at night when you wake up, we will remember these words. I pray that you precious Holy Spirit, you constantly keep encouraging us. You are the helper, you are the encourager. Holy Spirit I pray, help us, encourage us, cheer us on to have the right attitude. I pray next time we face a difficult time that you are right there Holy Spirit and speaking to us. And you will say to us, remember your attitude? Help us, Holy Spirit. Remind us, Holy Spirit, to live these things so that we can truly be the people who have the character to handle all the gifts and the anointing that belong to us. And I pray this, Father, because this is your desire for us. This is your will for us. So, Holy Spirit, we rely upon your help. In the name of the precious Jesus in whom we are perfect and have access to all the wealth of heaven, we pray this.